All right, let's turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. We're picking off where we uh, stopped before Thanksgiving. Using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's on page 816. I want to begin this morning by talking about expectations. Expectations can be one of the hardest parts of relationships. What happens when you have different expectations than the people around you? What happens when people don't meet your expectations or you don't meet theirs? There's a great but slightly cynical definition of leadership of disappointing people at a rate they can tolerate that I think speaks to this. Again, I, rec- I recognize that it's slightly cynical, but a lot true. At the center of our text today is this question from Jesus to the people. What then did you go out to see? What were you looking for? Now, as we'll see in a little bit, this is a specific question raised by Jesus to the crowds concerning John the Baptist. But I also think it fits the first half of the passage, which speaks implicitly about the expectation John the Baptist had about Jesus. This idea of, what were you expecting? What did you come here to see? All of this is going to, culminate in a call to hear and believe, sometimes in spite of our expectations. And to help us connect with our own expectations, I want us to ask ourselves this questions about our life of faith or gathering as this local church. What are you doing here today? What did you come to see? As I mentioned before, I love the new year because it is a time that our calendar gives us that supports us in reflection and examination to make plans and to set priorities for the coming year. And I want to use this text to talk a lot about that and to begin your thinking for your own life of what am I doing here? Am I here to follow Jesus? Am I here to worship with God's people? Am I willing to hear what God is saying through the preaching of his scriptures? So let's look at this text. Matthew chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 1. And we're going to learn about being offended by Jesus. Let's look at verses 1 to 3. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Verse 1 is a helpful verse in that it is a transitional verse moving us from Chapter 10, where Jesus is primarily giving instructions to his disciples, to now being among the people in the different 
cities. It also helps us to see that Jesus did a lot of traveling and teaching that are not always recorded in the Gospels. And as Jesus is going from city to city, John the Baptist hears news about Jesus from prison. Apparently, his experience of prison is at the same time that Jesus is engaged in public ministry, and this led John the Baptist to have doubts about Jesus. In fact, some scholars believe that John could have been in jail up to a year at this point. It's perhaps something along the lines of this, if I am the one who was to announce the promised Savior from God, why am I in jail and he hasn't gotten me out? So through his disciples, John asked this question, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? I think it's important to pause here and to understand what John is saying and how it gives us insight into the nature of faith. A couple thoughts on that. Number one, even John the Baptist had to persevere through doubt. Again, sometimes we sanitize the people in the Bible and we make them not real people. But like when you think of John the Baptist, even he questioned his faith. You know, we don't always handle doubt well. We're afraid of it. And I don't want you to feel shame for experiencing doubt because if you feel shame, you never actually deal with the problem. I've always appreciated one of the titles of one of my textbooks from seminary. You know you've written a good book when just the title is helpful. But the title of the book was Faith Seeking Understanding. We so easily feel bad for having any questions. But when we do, when we're just embarrassed by that, we don't actually try to find an answer. And I want to come back to that. It's like, because there are answers. But we're so afraid we don't actually look for them. Listen, I have a lot of patience for people who are actually engaging with real questions. There are hard questions. And I think it's significant that this is an example of Jesus answering hard questions. You know, there are some stories in the Bible where the narrator tells us someone asked a question to trap Jesus. And oftentimes, that's when Jesus is like, first of all, you're asking the wrong question. But second of all, he gives them a question they can't answer, and he sort of beats them at their own game. But that's not what happens here. And I think that's important to see that Jesus takes questions seriously and then answers them. And so when we experience doubt, or when we know someone who is experiencing doubt, we want to welcome that and give real answers to real questions. The second thing I want us to see about John's doubt here and the nature of faith is that miraculous signs are not enough. There is a regular impulse in the human heart to want a sign to confirm our faith. 
Sometimes God does grant these, but usually he does not. But I want to warn you to be careful if you find yourself regularly wanting a miraculous sign. Because John had seen them. Remember the story of Jesus' baptism by John. What happens? John heard God's voice audibly and saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove. Two miraculous signs. And he still had questions. Miraculous signs are not going to save your faith. The third thing I want us to see here is that Jesus, and for us today, the Bible, has real answers. We're going to look at that in the next couple verses of Jesus actually answers John's question. But I think here it is good to pause and to say that the Bible speaks to the questions you have. And again, I don't want you to be so embarrassed about your questions that you don't actually look. Because that's another part of our faith is we assume there aren't answers. Because we're embarrassed. The scriptures will not disappoint. The scriptures are the solid foundation upon which we stand. Too often we act like Christianity is some brittle religion that will fall apart with any skeptical question. And it hasn't fallen apart for 2,000 years. Why do you think it's going to fall apart now? Because there are people who have asked way harder questions than yours. Have a faith that seeks understanding. Because the scriptures have the answers that you seek. So let's now turn to Jesus' answer to John's question in verses 4 to 6. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Again, it's important to see that John, Jesus takes John's question seriously. And he tells John's disciples to go and tell John what you hear and see. And Jesus then gives them some objective evidence to take back to John to strengthen his faith. Now, we need to look at this list of evidence that Jesus gives because it's not some random list. The list contains some references to miracles that Jesus performed in his earthly ministry. For example, healing the blind, the lame, lepers, deaf, and raising the dead. It also includes that the poor have the good news preached to them. This helps us to connect that not only is Jesus saying, look around, See the miracles I've done. But he's actually connecting it to the scriptures. Let me give you two examples here. The first one is Isaiah chapter 35. Listen to it and tell me if anything sounds familiar. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, because your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, 
and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Let me give you another one. Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. It should be noted that in Luke chapter 4, Jesus explicitly claims that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 61, which I just read. But back to our story, Jesus specifically names miracles and actions that are connected to Old Testament passages as a way that John can know that he is the promised Savior who was to come. Again, not just looking at the evidence, but pointing John back to the Scriptures. But then interestingly, Jesus concludes his answer with a blessing that is also a loving rebuke. Look at verse 6. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The idea in the word here offended is an offense that leads to rejection or a stumbling block to faith. We're helped by the NIV translation, which translates it this way. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I think the idea is that you will be blessed if you do not allow your expectations of Jesus to get in the way of your faith. And I think we can see somewhat of what was going on in John through going back to those verses from Isaiah that we quoted previously. Missing from Jesus' list, but included in Isaiah, was proclaiming liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound. Also, both of those passages mention the vengeance of God. John was still in prison. He was not being set free. And while there were these great miraculous healings, there was not the miraculous display of God's judgment. About this, one author writes, The blessings promised for the end times have broken out and prove it is here, even though the judgments are delayed. Jesus is encouraging John by pointing him to the healing miracles and the proclamation of the gospel as signs that he truly is the promised Savior. But at the same time, he's warning John not to lose faith because some of the other actions of God are delayed. We see these ideas in another passage in Isaiah. Let me read you from Isaiah chapter 8. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. God is our sanctuary and our hope in all circumstances, but when God acts in a way that's not according to our expectations, he is a rock of stumbling, and by him man shall stumble. We need to be honest 
with how our hearts respond to when God doesn't act the way we want him to. When he's not on our timeline, when he's not working according to our agenda. In those times, we need to take seriously those words of verse 6. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Just because Jesus isn't acting the way you want him to doesn't mean he's not acting. Don't stumble over your version of Jesus when that's different from what the Bible says about him. Now, Jesus turns at this point in the text. He turns from speaking to John through his disciples And he now turns to the crowd, and he's going to talk about John to the crowd. And again, at the center of this is this idea of expectation. So let's look at that, beginning in verse 7. Let me read verses 7 to 10 here. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see, a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Jesus asks a series of questions to the crowd to call their attention to their going out to listen to John the Baptist before he was imprisoned. Matthew chapter 3 gives us a description of this. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around about the Jordan were going out to John, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sin. In summary, all of these questions of Jesus are one Question, why did you all go out into the wilderness to hear John? But he also adds a unique flavor to each time he asks the question. So he says in verse uh, 7, Did you go to see a reed shaken by the wind? This phrase, a reed shaken by the wind, is best understood as a reference to a person who doesn't have any real convictions and just changes depending on what fits the moment. Again, one author is helpful to us here as he writes, it suggests a fickle person tossed about in his judgment by the winds of public opinion or private misfortune. Well, that can't be the answer, because John the Baptist was the guy who said to the religious leaders of his country, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So, That can't be the reason. You didn't go out to hear someone who's going to tell you what you wanted to hear. So maybe you went to see someone who had soft clothing. Now, the reference to soft clothing and the reference to king's houses refer to a person who had expensive clothing and therefore wealth and power. Well, again, this couldn't be who John was. You didn't go out to see John the snazzy dresser because, Matthew tells us, 
He wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. This guy didn't tell you what you wanted to hear, and he wasn't rich and powerful. So again, what did you go out to see? Jesus answers his own question and adds on to it. A prophet, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. You know, after both encouraging but also lovingly rebuking John's doubt, Jesus, with crystal clarity, declares that John is a prophet, in fact, the prophet. The one who was to prepare the way of the Lord. The one, again, Jesus is citing from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I think it's interesting how Jesus can rebuke John's expectations, but also use the expectations that the people had about John to understand their own hearts. See, all of this is going to set up, in the later part of the passage, a call to hear and respond with faith to what has been said about Jesus. But before we get there, Jesus is both going to, again, declare with certainty who John is, but also declare that something new and greater has come. So let's look at verses 11 to 15. Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, one trick that I think is helpful for understanding the ministry of John the Baptist, but also a lot of what is written in the Gospels, is to think of John the Baptist as the last Old Testament prophet, even though we learn about him in the New Testament. While his story is in the New Testament, his ministry happens before Jesus dies on the cross and rises again. And so in some ways, he's more like the Old Testament. Again, Jesus speaks with great clarity. There's no one greater than John the Baptist because he is the prophet who is sent to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. And as we saw in verse 10, which is a quote of Malachi chapter 3, We also see in verse 14 that John is called Elijah who is to come. A quotation of Malachi chapter 4. This makes John the greatest prophet because he is the last. So in verse 13, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. John was the last one because in his time the promised Savior did come. 
All of this functions in this passage to affirm the prophetic ministry of John. Again, Jesus is saying, you went out and you heard a prophet, in fact, the prophet, the last prophet. But yet, we have in verse 11, this contradiction. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, in this context, a person in the kingdom of heaven is one way to refer to someone who has placed their personal trust in Jesus and has become a part of Jesus' people, his kingdom. But again, using Matthew chapter 3, the best message that John could say was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, in one sense, we know, because we live on this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that's an incomplete message. But in Jesus and his death and resurrection, there is both a call to repentance, but then a call to faith in Jesus. And those of us living on this side of Easter... All of us who believe actually have a better message than the greatest prophet, John. The message is more than salvation is coming. The message is that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all who repent of their sins and place their trust in him will be saved. In one sense, all of us here who have placed our faith in Christ have a better message than John the Baptist. Now, I want to note verse 12 has its difficulties. Some of your Bibles may have a footnote about different translations here. But again, I think the big idea is clear in the context that the, God's kingdom has and will experience hardship and resistance. That phrase, the violent take it by force. And John's very own imprisonment is an example of this. Even though he is the greatest prophet, wicked people like King Herod will still be able to put him in jail. But that does not mean that the good news of Jesus has stopped. No amount of resistance and violence can stop the plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. That is the greater message all of us have. And it therefore calls for the response in verse 15. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. John is the greatest prophet. Listen to him. He said about Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But in one sense, we today have a greater message than John. Can I borrow language from earlier in the text to try to bring it into our current reality? If Jesus said to the crowds, why did you go out to John? What were you wanting to hear? Did you want to hear someone who told you what you wanted to hear? Did you want to hear someone who was a snazzy dresser? No, you went out to hear a prophet. Can I bring it into our day of saying, why did you come to church today? 
What did you come to church to hear? Did you come to hear someone who would tell you what you want to hear? Did you come to listen to someone who's a really snazzy dresser? Or did you come to hear the preaching of the Word of God? If that's true, then if you have ears to hear, let them hear. John was a prophet who prepared the way for Jesus. But today we have a message that Jesus has come. And that he died and rose again and one day will return for final judgment and salvation. That is what we proclaim. That is what this Bible proclaims. So if you have ears to hear, let them hear. A couple thoughts to close up this morning. Number one, don't stumble over Jesus. Jesus didn't meet John's expectations. And many stories in the gospel are stories of people misunderstanding Jesus or rejecting him when he wasn't conforming to what they wanted. The human heart wants a God and Savior conformed to our image who will follow our will. But God does not work that way. And so let me challenge you that when God disappoints you, that you do ask the tough questions and have a faith that seeks understanding because ultimately Jesus never disappoints. God may not save us from every hardship in the world, just as like John was still in prison while Jesus was on earth. But when you get to heaven and see John, you're not going to find someone who was disappointed. Secondly, you have a better message than John the Baptist. John was not able to see the completion of Jesus' ministry. Even though he was the greatest prophet who ever lived, you know the rest of the story that he doesn't. You have heard the story of Jesus completing the work of salvation through his death and resurrection. And you may never have an audience the size that John the Baptist did. But even when you speak to one person, you have a better message than John. And like John, we are all called to give that message to the world. To give the good news of the kingdom to all those around us. God has placed you where you are to share the completed work of Jesus. That through the death and resurrection of Jesus, all those who repent of their sins and place their personal trust in Christ will be saved. Thirdly, again, that question What did you come here to hear? When we come to the Word of God, do we just want to see what we want to see? Do we want to 
have someone just tell us what we want to hear? Or are we willing to hear with the ears that God has given us what he is actually saying in his word? You know, one of the things that is our normal practice here is just going book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because that actually protects us from just picking the things we like. It protects me as I plan out what I'm going to preach. Because in one sense, it's letting God set the agenda. You know, in my first year here, I remember we were going through the Gospel of Mark. And again, when you're at a church for the first year, they, they tell you like, hey, don't try to change everything. You know, learn about the church. And I remember there were three Sundays in a row where I had to talk about money, divorce, and I can't remember the third one. <laughs> but I hadn't even been here like six months, and I'm like, really, Jesus? Like, you want me to step on all these toes here? <laughs> but what allowed me to speak the truth was that was just the next chapter. And it gave me freedom to say what God is actually saying. Because we're not here just to share our feelings. We're not here just to give our opinions. We're, we're here to hear the word of God. And sometimes that's not what we want to hear. Because sometimes it requires us to change. And we don't like that. Again, as, as you think about this coming year, as you think about expectations of God that you have, let me encourage you that if you have ears to hear, let them hear. Don't just look for miraculous signs. Don't just look for things that you already want to be true. Look for what God is actually saying through his word this year. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning, that you would use it by the power of your Holy Spirit to transform us to be more like your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear what you are saying through your scriptures. And God, we thank you for the greater message we have, the message of the completed work of Jesus Christ to save sinners that we would proclaim that in our communities, in our families, and in our workplaces. That we would continue in the legacy of John the Baptist, proclaiming the word of the Lord. And that we would proclaim your favor and your grace to sinners. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching this video from Hillside Evangelical Free Church. Our hope is that these resources will help you grow as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We're located in Greenbank, Washington on Whidbey Island. And if you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to have you join us. You can find out more information at our website at hillside-efc.com.